Well, good morning, Severn Ride. How is everybody today? You look fantastic, as always. And I just want to say right now, I want you all to do me a favor and give the worship team just a really, really big hand. Give them a big hand. And, and now would you like to know why? Because you guys were just a little bit asleep when it started this morning. Just a little bit of sleep. But I kept watching, and the longer they stayed up here, the more awake and alive that you became. And I believe that there are people in here today that you, ex you experienced the presence of God as a result of that worship set. And, uh, and so uh, thank you, worship team. We really appreciate it. Also, let me just go ahead and say happy Father's Day to all the dads that are out there, all the dads that are watching us on Facebook. And uh, how many of you, how many of you, you're, you're, you're celebrating a father today in your life, huh? And here's something I, I, I do want to say about that is I've had, I've had been privileged in the last two weeks to have two to three different conversations with men that unfortunately didn't have wonderful father relationships. And that can leave a hole. That can leave a gap in somebody's life. But the beauty of these conversations is how I've been able to express to them that they have a heavenly father. A heavenly father that loves them, a heavenly father that's perfect, a heavenly father that will never leave them, that will never forsake them, that will always be with them, that they can always count on. And anything, anything that you were unable to learn from your earthly father, your heavenly father has got you covered. And I just think that there's some people that probably need to hear that today. So happy Father's Day. Well, Today's the last day of our series, Eat, Drink, and Be Merry, because next Sunday is Leave Your Seat Sunday. I hope that many of you are already excited about that and uh, that you're already signing up to for what project that you're going to be a part of. And so today is going to conclude um, this series. And as you could probably tell by now, Eat, Drink, and Be Merry, it sounds like a party, doesn't it? But it hasn't all been a party. Because the truth is you can't really figure out how to eat, drink, and be merry unless you figure out the tougher issues of life. Unless you deal with some of the, the more difficult things, then eating, drinking, and being merry all of the time aren't ever going to come to pass. But I do believe, I do believe it is what Jesus had in mind because, again... Jesus uses these parables, and he interacts with food throughout all of the New Testament, and he always does it in such a way to remind us about what is most important in the kingdom of heaven. Just a few years ago, I uh, had the opportunity to be with one of my friends, and, and this particular individual is a friend to quite a few of you, actually, that are here and have had the opportunity to meet her and get to know her a little bit, but her name is... Her name is Mama Maria, and uh, Mama Maria lives on the outskirts of Santo Domingo down in the Dominican Republic, and uh, she was the fortunate wife of a, of a rather well-to-do businessman there in the region, a real estate developer, and as she would go out and she would help her as she would go out and she would help her husband on, you know, looking at land that was available for development or whatever it may be, uh, one particular time she kind of stumbled upon this very, very impoverished neighborhood. And inside of that impoverished neighborhood where there were all kinds of kids that were running around, 
with absolutely nothing to do, with no school that had been afforded to them, with no regular meal that had been afforded to them. I mean, these kids, while they were kids, they still weren't living their best life. And Mama Maria, she thought, you know, I should do something about that if I call myself a follower of Jesus. So she did. She started a school, she, which turned into a church, which has now turned into a place where the local community can come and get clean water, which has also turned into a place for workforce development where people in the community who, who otherwise would never have the opportunity to be able to have a good job are able to come and they're able to learn various trades like working in the kitchen, like food service and, and many other avenues and then go out into the society there in the Dominican Republic and have their own jobs and make their own way of living. Mama Maria is a powerhouse of a woman. And just a few years ago, having the opportunity to sit down at a table, we were sitting there at this table for lunch. And as we were sitting there, there was only a few of us that were English speakers, and there was some of us that were trying to uh, learn how to speak Spanish. I was not one of those, by the way. Uh, my attempts at Spanish are absolutely, totally atrocious, and I don't want to hear anything from you, Vicki Dallaire, okay? I don't want to hear anything from you. They are atrocious, but, but, there's the, but there was some that were just sitting there trying to have conversations with one another. We had one translator, and, and everybody was laughing, and everybody was telling stories, and we were enjoying this beautiful food set up at this big table, and the sun was shining, and I was just sitting back for just a moment, and I thought to myself, I think I get it now. I think I understand what Jesus meant when he said, the kingdom of heaven is now. That I was living in that moment in the kingdom of heaven. Exactly what he meant it to be. Sitting there with people that I didn't even speak their, their, their language, but you know what? My heart was connected to the individuals that were at that table. And the opportunity to just be there and to enjoy life and to be together. What more could we possibly want for? What more could there really be in this thing called life? And that's why I think over and over again, Jesus centers so much of his life and his teaching around food. Because at the end of the day, it's just a big banquet feast, folks. We spend most of our lives running after all kinds of different things and trying to fix different problems and trying to fix different people and trying to have control over different situations. And at the end of the day, it's nothing more than Jesus has asked us to sit down at the table and enjoy the banquet. To be with one another. To have heartfelt connection with our Heavenly Father and with our fellow man, with our fellow woman. This is what Jesus is inviting us to do. Some people have a hard time getting there. Jesus actually tells one of these stories in Matthew chapter 22. You can look with me if you would please. Matthew chapter 22 beginning in verse 1. Here's how the story goes. Jesus also told them other parables. And keeping in mind that if you read the few verses before this, the other parables that he was telling, he was oftentimes telling these to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious rulers of the day who were trying to run around and to control 
and to manipulate and rather than just sit down at the feast. This is who Jesus was telling the story to. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and the fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guest he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't even worthy of the honor. Now go out onto the street corners and invite everyone you see. Nobody is off limits. Nobody is off limits to an invitation to this feast. So the servants brought in everyone that they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guest, he noticed that a man wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Boy, this message here has just took a turn for the worst, didn't it? I mean, I thought it was eat, drink, and be merry. I thought it was, hey, let's, let's, let's have a good time. John, you started out with a story about sitting down at a feast and enjoying, and enjoying all that God had prepared. But the reality is many of us are unable to come to the feast. Many of us are unable to come and to just sit down and to enjoy it. Because like so many of the people that Jesus mentions in this story, we find ourselves entangled with the things of the world. We find ourselves completely grabbing hold of again and trying to control the situations and the people that are in our lives versus letting go of all of that, letting go of, our, of what our egos want so bad, of what Paul says our flesh wants so bad, Rather than let go of all of those things and just sit unhindered at the table, we hold on and we want more. In this particular story, you can see that there was a farmer that was invited. The farmer went back to his farm. He had business to take care of. He had work to do. Rather than go and enjoy the feast. Some of the men that I've talked to over the course of the last few weeks, one of the things is their dads were so caught up in their work. You know, I had the opportunity to be able to take my, my, my little uh, 10-year-old girl to Disney World this last spring. And uh, it, was the, it was the greatest moment of her life. If Walt Disney knew how to do anything, he knew how to make the magic happen. But you know, the sad part 
if you read the life and story of, of Walt Disney, why he made the dreams of so many children come true, he spent so much time working on that, that unfortunately, it hindered his own relationship with his own children. We reach and we go and we, we've got work to do, but we don't sit at the table and we enjoy. The farmer, the businessman, and then you've got the people that did, they just flat mock the invitation. You know those folks, don't you? I mean, here it is that Jesus, all he's doing, all he's simply doing is inviting you into a love and a joy and a peace like you have never known. And let's face it, we know people that they don't want anything to do whatsoever with love, joy, or peace, do they? I mean, they have become so addicted to their own angers and their own resentments and living in their own amount of stress that they will not be willing to let any of those things go in order to accept the love, joy, and peace that Jesus Christ is offering into their life. They just want to hang on to the things that have hurt them. They want to hang on to the to the people that have hurt them rather than enjoy the banquet table. It makes a mockery of the banquet, of the banquet table. And then there's the people that arrive, and I kind of think that this last illustration has a whole lot of, to do oftentimes with the church crowd, but there's the people that, are, that they arrive and they are at the banquet, but they're not dressed. They're not dressed in the love and the joy and the peace. They're not there for the party. They're there for to be seen. They're not there to really allow their lives to be changed or their lives to be altered. They just want to to, they just want the world to think that, hey, listen, I, I, I'm a good person. Look at me. Here's, here's where I am, and this is where I go, and this is what I do. Or they use religion in some way, shape, or form in order to be able to placate themselves and make themselves feel as if they are better. They show up, and they're not, they're not exactly dressed in the proper attire. They're not dressed in the wedding clothes. All of these attachments, all of these worldly attachments, these ideas that we hold on to, these ways of doing things, they will keep us. They will keep us from the love and the joy and the peace that's offered to us at the banquet table. I tell this story, <laughs> I tell this story in, in my book, and when I first went to rehab, I walked in, and I don't even really remember what the gentleman had to say, because when he got up in front of us, the first thing that he said to this crowd of about 300 of us that he was speaking to that day, he said, here's, here's the deal, welcome to rehab, your best thinking got you here. I, I'm telling you folks, I've told some of you this story, I was angry at that moment, I was mad. How dare he? He has no idea who I am. He does not know that I am the executive pastor of the church at Severin Run. He is not aware of any of my educational background. He doesn't know any of the people that I've met. He doesn't know any of my accomplishments. How dare he make such a statement 
as my best thinking got me here. You're right, my best thinking got me here. My best thinking helped me. Can you see the ego at play, folks? Can you just see it like completely like going crazy while this guy is talking? I didn't hear anything else he had to say. I was mad. My best thinking got me here. And the longer that he talked, I thought about my life. Until I was sitting there at the end of his speech thinking to myself, oh my gosh, my best thinking landed me in rehab. <laughs> Every, everything that I thought, everything that I believed, everything, every action that I had taken, all of those things had put me in a seat in a rehab unit trying to recover from my alcoholism. Wow. If I was going to change, some of my thinking was going to have to change. And here's the truth about all of us. If we really want to change, if we want to walk away from the, the fear and the stress and the resentment that's in our lives, and we want to move toward the love and the joy and the peace that Jesus offers, then our thinking is going to have to change. If you want your marriage to change, your thinking is going to have to change. If you want your job situation or your career to change, your thinking is going to have to change. Whatever it is in your life that you don't like, that you're not satisfied with, that is not bringing you the love and the joy and the peace of Jesus, there is a thinking problem going on. And in order to change, your thinking is going to have to change. That's not easy to do, is it? It's not, it's not easy, but it's the only way. We have to be willing to give up all of the things that we've held to. We have to be willing to, to, to look and to say, the way that I've been trying to do life, it's not working. In fact, what I'm giving you right now, this change of thinking, this change of doing things, it's what the Bible refers to as repentance. It means that I'm walking one way and I have been on a journey going one direction, but now I've got to turn around and I've got to go a total another direction. And that direction is following Jesus to the banquet table. It's not doing the things the way that I've always been doing them. It's easy to look at Matthew chapter 22, and many have, and say, well, you know, isn't this largely referring to the afterlife? And while this story certainly has afterlife implications, it has the implications from the here and now. Jesus said that the kingdom is now, and he starts this story by saying the kingdom is like. Meaning that even right now, you can begin to enjoy these fruits. You can, be, you can begin to enjoy Love and joy and peace, and you can begin to eat from a banquet table like you've never believed possible, or you can continue to eat the crumbs off the floor. It's really up to us and our willingness to decide whether or not we want to change our way of thinking. I don't think that it's any surprise or shock that after Jesus spends so much of his time in Scripture, walk, doing miracles that involve food, teaching uh, in parables that involve banquets at the table, I don't think that it's any shock that a Jesus who doesn't give us very many rituals, you realize that, right? 
We've already experienced one of the rituals that Jesus left behind for his church to practice, which was baptism. There's a second one, and there's only two. The second one was the Lord's Supper, that final night that he comes to, to sit down and to be with his disciples, and, and he adds a certain portion of the, to the ceremony that had typically been the Passover feast. He adds a, a, a brand new moment to it when he asked his disciples to drink of his flesh and to, uh, to eat of his flesh and to be able to drink of his blood. Uh, a statement that, quite frankly, is so radical that it still sounds funny today. It was so radical in the Roman times that the early Christians were actually accused, they were actually accused of cannibalism. Many of them were put to death because they were considered cannibals. Because Jesus had asked them to do this, to drink of, to, 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 to drink of his blood and to be able to eat of his flesh. Jesus' final moment was at, with his disciples was at a banquet table. And he added one more ritual. And many of us, we know, that, we know that the reason why he added this ritual was so that we would be reminded, we would be reminded that he was willing to lay down his life for us. That the God of this universe in fleshly form would stand there in front of Pontius Pilate and then Pontius Pilate looking at Jesus saying to him, you recognize that I have the power to decide your fate. And Jesus looking back at him and says, you don't have any power to decide my fate. If I, wanted, if I wanted right now, I could call upon my heavenly father and there would be legions of angels that would come to my rescue, Pilate. Nice try, buddy. But even in that, listen, even though Jesus could have done it, he didn't. He was willing to lay down his power. That's a signal to each and every one of us that we must be willing to lay down our power. We must be willing to lay down our control. We must lay down our desire to manipulate and to fix things into people. We've got to let all of that type of ego go. Jesus was willing to do that. He was willing to, he was willing to lay down his earthly status. I mean, he had, he had gathered quite the following by the time we get to the crucifixion. He had gathered quite the following, and yet at the very end, they put a sign up there on the cross. And the sign is a sign of mockery. It says, oh, look, the king of the Jews. You know, that didn't matter to Jesus at all. Mock him all that you wanted to. That's not why he was here anyways. He wasn't here to be the king of the Jews. He was here to show us, to lead us on this pathway of self-sacrifice and laying aside all of these worldly attachments in order so that we could have relationship with the true and living God and with one another. And in this final act, this reminder, he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Be reminded of what I did for you and be reminded that it's exactly what I'm asking you to do also if you want to be worthy of eating at the banquet table. I'm asking you to turn away. I'm asking you to repent from your old way of doing things. And I'm asking you to sit down at the feast and enjoy a brand new life like you absolutely never believed was possible. So the question becomes, church, 
What are you holding on to? What things in your life, what relationships, what worldly status or title, what worldly possession, what things are you holding on to in life that you just will not let go of because you could not imagine life without those things? You need them so much, and Jesus says, you got to come to the table empty you got to come and be willing to follow me. you got to be willing to lay it all down. So today we are going to take part together in the Lord's Supper. And I want us to be reminded as we get ready to do this, I want us to be reminded that it's not just about remembering what Jesus did for us. It's being reminded of what we have to do in order to be able to celebrate in his feast. We have to be willing to let go. You know, Paul later on, when he's talking about the Lord's Supper, he says there's some people that are sick because they have eaten unworthily. Because they've placated this, they've treated it as if they can sit at the banquet table, but hey, listen, uh, they don't have to actually let go of their old nature. You know, the reason why Jesus wants you to let go of all of that stuff, all of those worldly attachments, all of those things, is because that's not who he created you to be. Most of us that we're sitting in here and we've got titles like mom and dad and we've got titles at our work and we've got accomplishments and we've got all of these types of things. But you know, that's not who Jesus created you to be. It may be a, what he's allowed you to do, but it's not who he created you to be. Because at the moment that you were born, you were none of those things. You were none of those things. But you were exactly who he created you to be. And when Jesus sits down at the banquet table, he doesn't want to sit down and, and talk to a fake you. Jesus wants to be able to sit down and he wants to be able to have the conversation with the one that he created in you. And that's why we've got to let go. That's what will bring us to this table, even today, in a worthy manner. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 17. It's the story of the last night. It says this, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. And when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? He replied, one of you has just eaten from this bowl with me, you will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who had betrayed him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? 
And Jesus told him, you have said it. Judas was more worried about holding on to the attachments of the earthly world. 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver were more important than him being able to stay that night and enjoy the banquet table with Jesus. What's your 30 pieces? What is it today that you might be holding on to that's keeping you from the amazing love and the joy and the peace that he's offering you, the amazing life that he wants to, to you to live, the amazing dreams he has for you that he wants you to accomplish? What are you holding on to right now that's keeping you from that? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? I'm going to ask you if you would please to stand with me for just a moment and with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I just want you to take a moment right before we get ready to right before we get ready to do this Lord's Supper. I just want you to take a moment and think about what your 30 pieces of silver might be. What are you holding on to that's keeping you from the banquet table? Are you ready to let that go today? Are you ready to, to, to come and to eat from the banquet table worthily? I promise you, whatever it is that you feel like the Spirit is saying you need to give up, it is not as good as what He has prepared. What He has prepared is so much more. Just be willing to let go. Heavenly Father, you can look into every single life that's here this morning. You know what we're holding on to. You know what we deem to be important. You know what we won't let go of. You know old patterns and ways of thinking that we have allowed to ingrain themselves into our minds but you've offered us a new way. And Heavenly Father, this meal that we're about to partake of together is a reminder of this new way that you have offered us. May we too today be willing to lay down our flesh. May we too be willing to give up our blood. All the things that matter the most in life and may we be willing to receive the best things of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask you, if you would like to partake today, to just slowly make your way down. We have both bread and grape juice that's here at the front. You can walk down. Uh, please continue to just think about those who are more comfortable at a social distance. But... Please just go ahead and make your way. Come pick up the bread, pick up the grape juice, and in just a moment we're going to partake of this heavenly feast together.
you're at home and you're watching us on Facebook, I encourage you, don't just to sit by and to be a spectator, but to walk in your kitchen, to find what it is that you have that might be available in order to be able to represent this moment and to also be able to join us today. You're invited to the feast. as they were eating Jesus took some bread and he blessed it and then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying take, th take this and eat it for this is my body Heavenly Father King of Kings and Lord of Lords who walked among us in such amazing power and grandeur and yet you didn't do it in fancy clothes you didn't do it having come from a prestigious family. You did it all in humbleness because there was no worldly attachment that mattered to you more than just being able to invite us to the feast. You loved us so much that you gave up your own body in one of the most violent fashions that human beings have ever devised to be able to kill someone. You were willing to do that because you wanted to remind us that the feast was for available for us. Today, God, we, we want to lay aside our own flesh. We want to remember what you've done. Thank you. took the cup of water, cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out like a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Heavenly Father, you not only gave your flesh, but you gave the very substance that brought oxygen to every cell in your body. You willingly poured it out so that we could eat with you. We remember this. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Then they sang a hymn. And they went out to the Mount of Olives.